we the people support the tyranny of our government through complacency, through apathy, through silence and social habits, the way we buy, the way we consume. We, the people, have the ability to turn it all around if we resist the tyranny and transform our lifestyles. This is Anipi Radio, a space for authentic conversations around indigenous wisdom, science, lifestyle, and spiritual practices. The show is founded upon the belief that our most effective contribution to a more peaceful and harmonious world is for each of us to journey towards alignment with spirit, humanity, and nature. I hope your experience here serves as a source of depth, liberation, and joy in your life. I have no issue sharing my thoughts, clearly. I like to be personal here and to share some of my more innermost feelings. Today, I'm going to share maybe a little bit more of the personal side of things than what I have in the past. Today is January 23rd as I record this, and this will probably air in a couple of days. It is obviously close on the heels of the inauguration. Because of a lot of my experiences in life have become sort of accustomed to compartmentalizing when I need to, or when I think I need to. I know there are times when I feel that I need to be strong for my family, when I feel that I need to be strong as a leader in you know, an organization that I'm operating, or even here, maybe. Today, I'm going to be a little bit more open in my vulnerability and share some thoughts and feelings about that day. January 20th, 2017, inauguration of our 45th president. I like to be positive and I think that drove me to sort of shelving some of my emotions during the lead up to the inauguration 
and maybe even some <laughs> kind of feelings of denial. Uh, I think there was a little bit of me that felt like, surely this isn't going to actually happen. Surely something will turn. Surely we're missing something. This can't actually be happening. This man can't actually be in line to be our 45th president, especially on the heels of someone like Obama. And not just Obama, but Michelle as well. The juxtaposition is startling between the two families. On January 20th, I had a fairly normal morning. I woke up intentionally trying to be positive and happy. And as I was making my coffee and the family was in, in the other room, three little ones running around, my wife, um, I think maybe, maybe kind of checking on Instagram and, and Twitter and some of the other things to, to see what was going on in the day because it's a, it was an important day. I thought about my daughter. She came in and was talking to me about some fantastical thought, I'm sure. may have involved unicorns or fairies. And I remember smiling at her as she walked out of the kitchen and I was finishing up the coffee making. And I think I was sitting there pushing the French press down. And all of a sudden, I was just overcome. I was overwhelmed with sadness and grief. Watching the Obamas leave the White House and watching the new family coming in. Family. It is the most important thing to me. Everything I do is an amplification of the ethos and the way that we live in this family. And my hope is that as I speak, as I teach, as I broadcast this podcast, that it will be an inspiration and that some of the things that we're learning along the way will help others navigate their journey, their red road path. And as I seek to be an example of the change that I want to see in the world, it forces me to learn to work on myself more, you know, as, a, as I desire to be an example of that change. So it's an opportunity for me to grow as well. As I watched sort of the changing of the guards, if you will, I, and in the, the lead up to the actual inauguration, moment when that was that became official i realized i guess it hit me that the the unlikelihood of us having some of these tender moments that we've had with the obama family these moments after a tra tragedy when 
a great leader like Barack Obama came up and said what he felt he needed to say to comfort our society, to be empathetic to those that were suffering. And I realized that we weren't going to have any moments like that over the next four years, at least not from our president. And that sunk in. And for me, again, like looking at my family from the kitchen as I'm making coffee and thinking about this, it just hit me and I buckled. And that surprised me and made me, made me buckle a little bit more. And I got choked up and I shed some tears. I can't remember ever shedding tears about a president leaving or a president coming in. This feels different. This is different. This is a more bombastic kind of switch we've ever had, I think. There have been some notable ones along the past, for sure, but this is pretty significant. I literally, I, I, well, later on, I, I as a, an attempt to kind of recover from that breakdown, and it kind of came in waves throughout the day. I, I couldn't even work that day. I couldn't do much of anything. I wanted to record a podcast, and I couldn't because I just was too torn up to do it emotionally. So, as I usually do, I took the kiddos out on the property and went for a walk in the field. And I sat down there with Sersha, and I couldn't really talk, and I thought, what do I tell her? What do I tell this four-year-old little girl about the person that's coming into power now that is sort of this outspoken misogynist. He's being sworn in as our 45th president. What is that? How do I explain that? And we've had so many moments of the family watching the Obama family and shedding tears of joy and gratitude. And now this. And I'm not... It's not the end of the world. We've, had, we've dealt with worse. But I think it's okay to recognize the significance of this change in power and what someone like him represents to society. I think that's okay. So I'm going to take a moment to do that. The president certainly doesn't have, and I mean the president, like that position, certainly doesn't have the type of power that most people typically think, I think, in, in general society. But they do have tremendous influence, and impact over culture. Even what they wear, we talk about, like, <laughs> there have been discussions about, you know, JFK not wearing a hat during the inauguration, which was more, you know, out of, <laughs> that was odd for the time. So people stopped wearing hats. Guys stopped wearing hats. I mean, that was a thing in fashion. I study fashion every now and then because I'm interested in how, what influences people. 
that was a cultural a nuanced little insignificant really cultural shift but it happened we see sort of some of the mannerisms and quotes and things from presidents and they affect society we've seen our new president on camera a lot lately he gets the most airtime because he is the most sensationalist you know bombastic kind of creature and thrives off of that attention typically ne negative attention you know like a little kid and that scares me because I realize I understand how much culture plays a role in society I realize that culture really is our society. It is kind of the collective consciousness and the per collective perspective of a group of people that forms a culture. And that perspective forms our social agreements and upholds our, and upholds those agreements you know, through politicians, policy, so on. So it matters what type of leader we have in place and what their morals and ethics are what their methods are. When I boil it all down, I see this president as two things. A symbol of hate and division that we've seen very often. And I see him as the great distraction from anything that is important. I often wonder, you know, what is this whole 2016 election about it certainly doesn't seem like it's just about electing another president it seems as though it is sort of allowed or maybe even orchestrated to be a great distraction from what we should be paying attention to the things that are going on around the world there i mean you can look up online there's <laughs> websites that are covering thousands and thousands of things and framing it, saying, look, this is what is actually going, this is what's happening. This is what happened when you were watching that man get outrageous coverage by the media as he tweets immature, irreverent, ridiculous things out that get the people's attention. You know, it's often the people that are be a little less enlightened about life the masses that are spending so much time on social media retweeting things and so on you kind of have both sides you have the activists and then you have the people that are really not involved with anything other than just kind of social media they're the ones that are most active so it's kind of both sides of the spectrum are more active on social media you can find the stats on that online so that's why we see these things go viral things that shouldn't go viral like you know even stupid things like some cat meme or something like that that's the power of the media certainly social media so i see this president as a representation of that that hate and division in our country and also as this great distraction but i also see a potential for a third possibility. 
This podcast is not about me just <laughs> venting my political views. It's about our path towards consciousness, the red road. This is about observing, you know, intentionally and observing what is going on in society and saying, how, in light of that, how do we get to peace? How do we connect with our higher selves? How do we be part of an awakening in our nation, in the world? How do we contribute to consciousness? This man could possibly be the most effective catalyst for consciousness movement in America that we've ever witnessed. That's powerful. I think tyranny is most effective when there is no easily determined head of the snake. It kind of creeps up on society and we get used to it and we say, oh, I don't know, it's just the way things are. I'm not really sure how it got here or who's, in, who's responsible. There are groups out there, you know, underground activist groups like Anonymous, the biggest of the big, the most powerful of them all. And the reason they are the most powerful, and according to the NSA, they are more powerful than, say, the NSA and any other government entity, because they control the internet. Why are they so powerful? There is no head of the snake. You can't catch them because there's no leader. They all lead. There's no hierarchy. If they had a specific leader, you could target that leader and take them out, cripple them, arrest them, whatever. Remove them from the scenario. You know, and then you see kind of the rest of the soldiers, if you will, fall off. And before, I think the tyranny of our government, of our country, was somewhat masked. You know, when there's this beautiful family like the Obamas, and again, I'm not saying they're infallible. They're not, and, and certainly not Barack. But there's characters that they play on TV in our lives, and I like those characters, and we'll leave it at that for now. And when we have that kind of buffer, you know, when the Cosbys or the Ozzy and Harriet or whatever, that when you have kind of this nice family dynamic in front of you, it buffers the tyranny behind it a bit. Makes it a little complicated, a little too complicated, a little murky. And I believe the same would have been true had Hillary been elected. I think it would have been easy to just kind of, it would have just been kind of the same old, same old. It's not a drastic enough change. You know, if Bernie gets elected, that's, that's different. All of a sudden, there's a big difference in the White House. If this other president gets elected, and he did, then there's a big change in the White House. Hillary would have been too similar. However, now, tyranny has a face. Elitism, bigotry, hatred, division now has a face. And I'm not just trying to demonize this man. That's not what this is about. This is just some celebrity like he was before. It wouldn't deserve any airtime at all. But this is the president of the United States of America, the most powerful country in the world because we are the most influential. Now it matters. Now it needs a little bit of contemplative airtime. <laughs>
tyranny has a face. This makes, in my mind, the conversation a bit easier and more obvious. We can kind of see the ugly truth right out in the open. The veil has come off. When he was actually first elected, I felt like in that moment, you know, like when, when something hits and there's, a, there's that sort of moment when the, there's a car crash and you're in shock and immediately you just start kind of like saying, okay, we're, we're going to make the best out of this. Here, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And we, and we did that as a family, my family. And I very quickly, you know, tweeted positive things out and wrote blogs and podcasts and things like that. But some of the trauma has set in. We're feeling the pain. And as I said in one of my previous podcasts here i think we need to lean into that pain we need to feel it and on that january 20th on that day i needed to lean into the pain that i felt at the loss of something beautiful in our government and and of the the entering in of a representation of everything that i stand up to resist to change i needed to lean into it i needed to feel it all of it. And I did. I cried multiple times throughout the day, sort of uncontrollably. I honestly don't remember the last time that happened. I had the same kind of feeling that I did on 9-11 in, in 94 during the Rwanda genocide. I had that similar kind of pit in my stomach of that feeling like, oh my God, where, what have we done? What have we allowed to happen? You know, and in the first two events, they were events that ended in that moment in terms of the damage. This is the beginning. So it seems even more dire. However, I am encouraged. I am encouraged because every guru that I follow, spiritual, political, and otherwise, even business, I see their feeds on Instagram and Twitter. It's kind of the only two mediums I really am on at this point. And, you know, and I get some of my news from there. And I see all of these people that I follow know, the Marianne Williamsons and the Ram Dasses and the Deepak Chopras and, uh, and even, you know, into the celebrity world with the Mark Ruffalo and Susan Sarandon and Scarlett Johansson and a lot of it, Ashley Judd, who just made quite an appearance. God bless her. I'm glad she did it. I see all these people out there that I follow, that I join, 
I appreciate. And all of them are rising up and saying, our time is now. We're ready for the new step. All the citizen journalism news sources that I follow, Democracy Now! and Collective Evolution and the Young Turks and things like that, they're covering this surge from society of people standing up and saying, the veil has come off. The face of tyranny is here. It is time to stand up. It is time to rise up. Every human rights group and environmental protection agency that I know of, literally every single one of them, for the last couple months have been standing up and saying, this is it. Like Armageddon is on its way. We have got to make a shift. And here, I want to, I want to make a note here. It matters not if this president is as evil as we say. None of that matters. What matters is what he represents and what, is cause, what it's causing to, in people's souls. That's what matters. Always. And when I see, you know, my spiritual leaders and civic leaders and peace activists and journalists and all these people up in arms because this guy has become the president. And I see Chopra on Facebook doing a, a Facebook Live worldwide peace meditation because it's needed now. That says something to me. One, it says that this situation is quite dire. And two, it says that it's so dire that it might just wake everyone up. Marion Williams's, you know, sister giant organization is rising up. We had the Women's March. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. These movements were there before. I mean, they were sort of under the surface, and now they're rising to the top. And when you have a man that comes into leadership, like in the presidency, that represents white privileged men, the financially elite, the 1% at the top of the food chain, bigotry and racism, you know, that capitalist by any means necessary type of mentality, a bully, a narcissist, a megalomaniac, all these things about society, they're now represented there in this one man and his cabinet. Those guys are pros. This regime represents a desire for control over America that is more blatant and obvious than probably anything we've ever seen. His, this guy's tactics for fear-mongering, division, are ruthless and endless. And here's the thing. As an activist, I've been talking about this for years. When I've done campaigns for civil society across the world, I've often talked about, or always talked about, this one very important dynamic. If you want to control a group of people, fill them with fear that keeps them divided. Pump that fear into their minds through the media and all kinds of other forms of propaganda so that they will stay divided. That's what keeps them from being conscious. That's what keeps them from creating momentum. There was a country that I worked in, I won't say the name now, but, and I said, look, tribalism 
is what keeps you from creating momentum because everybody just votes according to their own tribe or they won't join some civic movement because of it being orchestrated by another tribe and so on. So you can never create momentum. And I think your government relies on that. And until you sort out tribalism, you're never going to make a difference. You're never going to create a movement for peace. Sorry, it can't happen. You're too divided, too many tribes and too much loyalty to just only to those tribes. So in America, we have similar elements of tribalism, but maybe more complicated because they don't have labels as often or as blatantly. But I think that we also have, again, this movement. The tree has been shaken to such a degree that it's waking people up. People are saying, wow, we can't ignore this anymore. About that women's march, which was framed as a women's march and equally, I think, a protest to the inauguration and this president. Certainly from what we saw there, that was the case. There were over one million people across the United States that participated. And that doesn't include D.C., where the march actually took place, or the, the, the parent march, I guess. That was 600,000 people or more. So 1.6 million people across the United States and hundreds of thousands more people in countries all over the world came together to protest, to stand against what that man represents. And don't be fooled. I'm not saying to just to stand against that man. That's childish. That's his kind of behavior. I'm saying that we're standing against what that man represents and can do and can orchestrate through his cabinet. There is more than three times more people that participated in the march against him than what showed up at the inauguration. And the fact that the new press secretary came out and in the first press conference spent the whole time basically whining about people talking about the numbers or whatever, and it was just a big defense of I literally kept, I kept looking at the thing on YouTube to see who the creator was. I thought it was a skit on Saturday Night Live. I, I thought, this can't be real. This guy can't be real. He can't really be taking the first press conference just to talk about, no, you know, he really is good. He really, he really had a lot of people show up. And it wasn't like that, what people are saying. Wow. Wow. The distraction that's happening. Is that important? I couldn't imagine even someone like Obama. And again, I'm not saying he's the greatest, but even that, I, I can't imagine him coming out and talking about his numbers of anything, like, like any of that was relevant. Because there's more important things to talk about, yet these things continue to get the airtime from now from the White House. Anyway, I am encouraged by the surge of care and action that I'm seeing from people. The people that make up this country. 
uh, yeah, I watch Al Jazeera quite a bit uh, to get my news, by the way. Another one of my favorite sources. And they covered the cities worldwide that participated in the march. You know, and, and multiple other stations are now saying that it is the largest protest against an inauguration of a president in the history of the United States. Period. Nixon was up there in the, you know, his, his second term. But nowhere close to this. Let that sink in. The largest protest against any president in our country ever in history just happened. Worldwide. You know, this guy likes to make headlines, and <laughs> there you go. I hoped that this would cause an awakening. And it looks like that's happening now. But here's the thing. We are used to seeing spikes in public interest in issues. It happens. Something pops off. We all get excited. We do a march. We do some fundraising. A month passes. We go back to life. Those spikes are historically just that, a spike. The energy typically fades, you know, after a short while, and and people get back to, quote-unquote, normal life. Movements don't happen without momentum and sustained engagement. You know, we're moving a giant rock up a hill, basically. We've got a lot of resistance. If we stop or get complacent or, or, or whatever, that rock's going to roll back over us like it has many times. So we can't go numb. This is not a time to go numb out of self-preservation. I get it. I understand it. I've seen it. We can't do it now. We can't be apathetic. I saw a sign yesterday or the other day at the, at the march. It said, silence is violence. I was reminded once again of the Martin Luther King quote, you know, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And as an activist, that has been one of the most hurtful dynamics in my life, the silence of friends. The silence of people that I care about and I think, how, how can this not be important to you? How can you not see yourself as connected to this? How can you distance yourself from this? And the people you know, that you care about can't see the importance of their impact on others. I think that is heartbreaking. We are interconnected. And we must remember that our governments exist to support the needs and desires of a nation. They don't own us. We don't work for them. They work for us. Our president is supported by this country, by the people. And his role is, his or her role is to be a chief public servant orchestrating a government that is supposed to serve the people. Please hear this.
the issues that we're here to resist as conscious people and stand up against and, you know, create alternatives for and all that. We think that the government is responsible for perpetuating that and upholding that and all those things that we're trying to stop. So we go after the government and so on. That is not the case. They are not the problem. They may be the instigators at times. They may be facilitating at times. You know, the, the, some of the injustices that we aspire to curb. But we are the ones that uphold the tyranny. We are the ones that uphold institutionalized racism and misogynistic media, sensationalistic media. We, with our lifestyles, the government is absolutely powerless without the people that support it. We, the people, support the tyranny of our government through complacency, through apathy, through silence and social habits, the way we buy, the way we consume. We, the people, have the ability to turn it all around if we resist the tyranny and transform our lifestyles. It's our lifestyles that support all this. The government is standing out there on a plank on the edge of a cliff, and we, all the people, are on that other end of that plank. And if we step off, that plank falls. Now, that's coming from a cartoon that I appreciate, but I'm not looking for the government to fall. I'm looking for the government to remember that they work for the people and that the people want peace. We need reformation, not we don't need to tear it all down and burn it all down. We're not looking for anarchy here. We're looking for reformation towards peace. The way we purchase, the, you know, the people that we support, the way we vote, the compromises that we make, it all causes a ripple effect. Tyranny relies on the silence of the people to sustain it, period. If we resist and create you know, better alternatives, we can create a government we want, a government founded in interconnectedness. Imagine. This is the only way we will make our way to peace. We need momentum. The government, and it's not just the government, it's the corporations that own the government and so on, that, that we, they have momentum. They've had, had it for a long time. It's hard to stop a moving vehicle. If we don't create momentum on our end, there's no hope. I would encourage you to look up, you know, Michael Moore's 100 Days of Resistance, that challenge. He is aware of exactly what I'm saying, and he's trying to create 100 Days of Resistance. I mean, they say it takes 21 days to make a habit, right? Well, 100 days theoretically, it could get us in the habit and it could create some momentum. And we have to create the momentum and then sustain it. But after the momentum is there, it's easier to sustain even psychologically because people see the power of the momentum and they think, well, okay, now let's sustain it. If you're always just kind of pushing uphill, it, it doesn't, it's not as convincing for people to, to stay involved. You know, right now we're off to an amazing start with everything that happened at the inauguration in terms of that compared to the uprising against it 
that was that you know that's that's amazing the day after this man was elected and i don't mean the inauguration but when he was actually elected in november i created a meme that said for a revolution to occur society must resolve that continuing to endure the tyranny is more unbearable than the prospect of transcending our differences and uniting for a common goal. And then I capped it off with a hashtag Trump the catalyst. It's the only time I'll be saying that word. As I said, the veil has come off. Obama served, you know, as, a, as sort of a, a buffer. And now, you know, their family is gone. But don't, don't be mistaken that this man, as our new president, has all the power. He doesn't. Neither does his cabinet of professional goons. We have the power. The power to be peace. Just like we saw with all of the American Indians at Standing Rock, where they stood in patience and peace, no matter what came against them. We've seen it in, you know, the example of Martin Luther King and his nonviolent resistance. It is the only way. But we must resist. And that doesn't mean, you know, just going to a sit-in or joining a march or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Do that if you'd like. That's important too, but it means resisting with your lifestyle. Refusing to allow for business as usual. We know what that looks like. We have to change the way we eat, the way we consume, the brands we support. All of these things. I'm actually part of a really beautiful organization called Found. It was created by a girl named Amber Mahood, who has become a very close friend of mine. It's launching in a few months. Found.global is where you can find it. I'll read you her brand mantra. We curate resources and guidance for gypsetters around the globe to gain a deep understanding and inspiration for living a more thoughtful, balanced, and mindful lifestyle. We provide practical methods and responsible consumerism that leads to a happier, more human, and more harmonious humanity. That's beautiful. Amber had a vision to help people become responsible consumers, to be deliberate about their lifestyle choices, because she recognizes that it is our lifestyle choices that uphold the tyranny we try to stand against or we are irritated by or we wish wasn't there. It's us. It's our lifestyles. I'll say this again. Tyranny cannot sustain itself without the support of the masses. We must resist. We must unite. We must create momentum. And we have to sustain that forward motion through our lifestyle choices. Now, I don't want my daughters to have to march in a women's march when they're my age 
I saw too many women in their 50s and 60s and 70s carrying signs that said, and I quote, I can't believe I still have to come out and protest this shit. Fair enough. I can't either. And I don't want that for our kids. I'll do everything I can to ensure that my daughters don't have to. I would encourage you to be an activist through your lifestyle choices. You don't have to join some club or start a racy Twitter war. It's not what this is about. Just choose peace. Be love in all that you do. Understand that your silence is violence. There's never been a better, more effective time than now to be part of a movement towards peace. I hope you'll join the 100 days of resistance in your own special way. Remind our government who they work for. And that we don't tolerate division and hatred. And that we're willing to change our lifestyles to embrace interconnectedness. We can't do anything to make ourselves more interconnected. It's there. We're, it's already, we are already interconnected. There's nothing we can do to change that. But what we can do is to live a lifestyle that is in harmony with that. To say, no, I, I'm not just going to sit back and let things be. I'm not just going to sit back and just assume the government has all the power and there's nothing I can do about it. And this isn't even about, this isn't about demonizing our government. That's not it. It's about what these things represent. It happens to be represented by our government at this moment and the corporations that they answer to and all those capitalistic interests. But we, the people, can come back and say, actually, we care about the vitality of our people and our land and the animals more than we care about profit by any means possible. You look like a, at a country like Bhutan. I think they have a, they have a rule that over 65% or something of their country has to be covered in forest at all times. Nothing can ever jeopardize that. They were asked to dam up their rivers such that they could then create uh, hydropower to export to neighboring countries. And they said, no, if we do that, that dammed up water will get into areas that are sacred sites of ours. It will flood those areas. It will change the contour of our land. We want to be in harmony with our land. And our land and our country and people here, are, it's more important than exporting this power to someone else just for the sake of profit. So they actually created a, you know, a happiness index. Uh, instead of it focusing on their GDP, they're looking at how happy is their country. And it has to do with people's lifestyles. And those lifestyles support policies. You know, uh, bad policies can't get off the ground and certainly can't sustain themselves if the entire public says no. The problem is the public doesn't say no. They sort of abdicate to the government. We can't do that. Let's be a source of peace, a source of patience. Patience is so important. 
if we are not patient, we cannot do the hard work that has to be done. We have to be resilient to the things that come against us. And in every moment, we must choose to be love. And that includes the way we buy, where we purchase things. We can't just go to the grocery store and come home and think all those purchases didn't make any difference. They didn't make any impact. They did. We have to be more cognizant of the way we live. This is a time to be aware, to be in tune. And to let our life speak. Thanks so much for holding this space of love and freedom with me today. If you appreciate this ethos from Manipi Radio, and you want to inspire others to align with love, to align with nature and spirit, I hope you'll share the podcast with those you care about. I hope you'll, I hope it serves as a, uh, an inspiration to rise up, to be love. I, again, I hope it provides depth and joy. And if it does, help us out. Spread the word. Review us on iTunes. Send it out in your newsletter. <laughs> Whatever you can do. It's appreciated. I wish you peace on your journey. May you align with love and let your life speak. Mitako yeo yasin.